Oliver. What might she be afraid of, and how can I leave space for that fear to be expressed? This series of inquiries leads you through a process of checking in on your own feelings and motivations, as well as walking a mile in the other person's shoes. As introverts, we tend to forget that other people can't read our minds. These questions give us a framework to take internal thoughts and feelings and turn them into conversation points. Six Best Practices of Highly Effective Collaborations Just as there are clear don'ts associated with collaboration, there are definite do's that contribute to an energizing relationship for everyone involved. Nothing can be taken for granted. A partnership between two introverts doesn't mean you're going to instantly understand one another and never have issues. Nor does pairing up with an extrovert mean automatic craziness. Either partnership combination can result in success or misery. What will make the difference is the degree to which you adhere to some best practices. The presence of these behaviors is an indicator that you're heading in the right direction. They don't guarantee a successful outcome, but they do contribute to having a more satisfying partnership experience. Engaging in open, frequent communication. Establish consistent communication, whether it's by email, phone, or in person. You can call them check-ins or process checks, whatever seems appropriate to your work. Of course, there will be situation-specific communication that happens outside of set times, but those discussions are usually limited to the scope of the issue at hand. They aren't designed for addressing bigger picture concerns, opportunities, or questions that come up as a project progresses. Having a set structure for regular check-ins is advantageous for the partnership and especially for you as an introvert. Preparation time allows you to think through what you're going to say, which is particularly important if you need to share something that's sensitive or emotional. The check-in meetings give you a safe, ready-made place to do that and allow everyone to take the pulse of the collaboration and make sure things are going smoothly. Identifying and challenging assumptions. There's an old saying that to assume makes an ass out of you and me. Yet, despite this, we make assumptions all the time, even without being aware of it. So it's highly probable that without due diligence and vigilance, assumptions will creep into our collaborations. Personal assumptions are ingrained in our consciousness long before we started our businesses. Coaches often refer to these assumptions as stories. Your story is a set of beliefs that you're carrying around about what you are and aren't capable of doing. For introverts, these stories sometimes directly contradict what you know you need to do to be successful. Here are a few that I've both heard and experienced. I'm not good at networking. I wouldn't be good at sales. I don't think people find me interesting. They don't understand me. I am too quiet to be a successful entrepreneur. You have to be extroverted to make a lot of money. Every last one of these statements is a story. It's an idea that's been planted in our heads and perpetuated by parents, friends, teachers, and colleagues. Or we came to those conclusions on our own after one failed or awkward experience. Whatever their origin or basis, we need to thoroughly vet and come to terms with them. Otherwise, we will inevitably carry them into the partnership, where they may manifest in unhealthy ways. Challenge the assumptions and allow your partner to do the same. In a trusting and respectful collaboration, you'll be able to shine the light on those stories and sort through them so that they don't become an obstacle to your mutual success. Professionally, it's critical to identify assumptions related to the who, what, when, where, and why of the collaboration. Introvert entrepreneurs are creative and thorough and might have fleshed out every detail and action before even consulting a partner. That can potentially lead to blanks in the conversation that were never filled in out loud, only in the introvert's head. As with so many other instances, the internal needs to be made external. Effective partnerships are based on clear role definition, with each person being 100% certain about his or her responsibilities. Assumptions about who will do what should be examined. If your collaborator knows you're a writer, and assumes that you'll take on all the content creation for the project, he might not know that you really want to try your hand at designing the website. 
You'd have to have a baseline of knowledge or skill in order to do that, of course, but he might not know if he doesn't ask you and you don't tell him. If you're working together for the first time and your people-pleaser side kicks in, you might not contradict him when he says, You're such a great writer, you'll take care of that part, right? His assumption becomes your reality, and you could end up feeling increasingly resentful of your assigned responsibility. If you adopt a no-assumptions rule for working together and commit to voicing your feelings, you at least have an opportunity to explore other options. Then it's about a choice you're making and agreeing on together rather than an assignment. Sharing Expectations and Definitions of Success As Peter Drucker remarked, what gets measured gets done. Successful collaborations have clearly defined measurements of success. The core metrics, financial, reach, engagement, growth, quality, should be outlined and agreed on. Others, such as strengthening a particular skill or making meaningful connections with new people, might be harder to measure, but are no less important to articulate. You don't have to agree on every expectation. The more critical point is that you're each aware of the other's expectations and its level of importance to the relationship. Then you can have open communication about how things are proceeding and whether each person's needs, professional or personal, are being met. Being equally invested in the work. It might go without saying, but no assumptions means no assumptions. All of the partners need to be clear about their commitment to the collaboration from the start. Neither party should ever feel taken advantage of. Each person has to be equally invested with the same to gain or lose as the other. An exception might be if you know from the beginning that one person might benefit more than the other, and you're both in agreement with that. In addition, no one has a crystal ball or can predict the circumstances under which a commitment might change. You want to know that you're generally on the same page, offers Kate Brubaker. Open and transparent communication throughout the process is almost more important than having all of the what-ifs worked out in advance. Coming from strength. Setting up your partnership for success means that you both believe success is possible. You've each experienced success on your own and are ready to expand your knowledge, reach, or work in ways that will be mutually beneficial to others. There is a sense that one plus one equals three, because each business has an opportunity to magnify its capacity more than it could on its own. This doesn't mean everyone is Pollyanna and avoids the difficult conversations. There may be moments of relative weakness or feelings of scarcity. But an effective collaboration has the transparency and resilience to work through them. Feelings of fear or anxiety are addressed directly and compassionately. This is only possible when the people involved are working from a healthy, confident state of being. For introverts, this means trusting our own voice and authority and being able to speak out proactively when needed. Having an Exit Strategy it may be advisable to set a term limit on the partnership from the beginning. If you are an introvert who appreciates structure, this lets you put some boundaries around the arrangement. You can anticipate how you will pace out your work and therefore your energy. You can also consider mimicking the lifestyles of the rich and famous and drafting a prenup agreement before any financial or legal resources exchange hands. Clearly outline what will happen and how work clients, customers, information, finances, and so on will be divided in the event of a dissolution, whether planned or unexpected. This one move will save you tremendous stress during a time that's already inherently stressful. When you're ready to reach out. If you're feeling overwhelmed or even diffident at the thought of reaching out to someone, you're not alone. However, don't allow yourself to get stuck in an attraction-avoidance vortex. Instead, consider the following two choices. Start small. If you've been flying solo with only informal support from friends, family, or colleagues, start with exploring small ways you can bring more formal relationships into your work. Join or start a regular mastermind group. Partner on a short-term, standalone, low-risk project that gives you both a sense of what it would be like to work together. 
If it's a bust, you can easily extricate yourself. Enlist an accountability partner for mutual support. My twice-weekly phone calls with my accountability partner are critical to my focus and feeling of connection. One of my coaching clients meets regularly with a friend for a two-hour writing block, during which she writes her weekly blog post. Each of these ideas opens up opportunities for you to receive feedback and support without the potential stress of being dependent on another person for any part of your livelihood. Be proactive. Sometimes when we get stressed or depressed about either a particular event or the general direction that things are going, we keep things too close to the vest. We don't open up to our friends and family or share what's going on inside our heads, even though we trust them more than anyone in the world. Even if someone has been 100% supportive of our entrepreneurial risks, we can be loath to reveal our fears, perceived failures, and insecurities. So we suffer in silence. Don't wait until the plane is going down to reach for an oxygen mask. You don't reach out for help when you need it. The situation will likely escalate. You'll hit bottom alone. Make a commitment to noticing when a stoic attitude or brave face is keeping you disconnected from support. Try to open up more. Don't wait until you feel so disconnected from everyone that you can't find your way back. Who do you have in your life who can help you decompress the stress in progress? If not a spouse, partner, or friend, consider a coach. Being able to share not only my wins and my losses with my coach has made it easier to let others into my business. Our conversations affirm for me that I am not alone. Introvert Entrepreneur Focus Mary Ann Rodmacher, artist, apronary, and author of Courage Doesn't Always Roar. Question. How did you know it when you were ready to enter into a formal partnership with Applied Insight? Answer. Choosing alliances or partnerships can be tricky business. I've had a handful of circumstances, fully informed upon looking back, that had markers and warnings along the way that I chose to ignore. The difference in my partnership with Applied Insight is that my partnership with Dr. Deanna Davis, the CEO, was tried in several different arenas. We were observers of each other's professional practices. We taught together. I'd read her work. We had tested the waters of a professional relationship in many small ways before agreeing to a more significant affiliation. Question. What did you learn through the process of doing a successful Kickstarter campaign that would be useful to an introvert entrepreneur considering a similar endeavor? Answer. I was emotionally unprepared for how vulnerable I would feel with such a public ask as a Kickstarter campaign. I resisted reading about how to conduct a successful campaign and participated full out from the heart with my most authentic voice. After 30 years as a public figure, it was a roller coaster ride asking for contributions to fulfill a double dream. Deanna and I both reached out to our shared and individual communities. I was overwhelmed with the outpouring of support and affirmation. Still am every time I think about it. And the process that Kickstarter funded is already helping me make a bigger difference in the way I am able to teach and offer processes. Preparing for a public ask or making such a strong offer, as author Patty Dye likes to call it, requires emotional preparation. I do not usually define myself by much external assessment. That said, there were a few days when the program was inert that my confidence was impacted. That startled me. I would say be prepared with a small support circle, personal systems or people you are inclined to trust, and honor your courage every day in the process that you had the guts to declare, I need your help and I am asking. Question. What have you found to be the most critical best practice that contributes to a successful collaboration? Answer. Narrating process to your partner is important. Partners are not mind readers. If you are too busy to complete a promise, just say that. Silence implies all kinds of things. Don't expect a partner to fill in the blanks of your quiet. Just a quick note, 
or email acknowledgement, text, or call with a brief update keeps positive momentum up and anxiety and questions down. Chapter 8 Business Expansion Bigger and Better Introvert Style Bursting at the Seams How Do You Know When to Grow? At some point, your business is going to outgrow the clothes in which it was initially dressed. The clues might come in the form of demand for new or different services from your clients, or it might be your gut telling you it's time to invest in a promising, fresh direction. This is more than having an accountability partner or collaborating on a one-time project, as we discussed in the previous chapter. The decision to expand your business by adding full-on partners or staff is one that fundamentally changes how you operate, as well as affects your definition of success. What was previously an ambitious goal may now look only adequate, and what was once a risk that you were taking with only your own neck on the line now includes other invested partners, clients, and customers. How do you know when you're ready? The signs are not unlike the ones we discussed when we spoke about smaller-scale partnerships. Notice as we review the signs that they are all based in an attitude of abundance. You want to grow because you are successful and your business warrants it. If you decide to expand because something you're doing isn't working, or you're afraid if you don't, you'll go under, then take a step back and confront the realities of the current situation. Remember, don't try having a baby to save a marriage. Expanding a troubled business only expands your troubles. You're ready to consider expansion when you've reached your expertise ceiling, but not your vision for the business. There is room for more advancement in services or products, but perhaps the expansion will lead you away from business activities that are your core strengths and into areas where you feel less competent. That's when it's time to call in someone else so you can stay focused on what you do best. You want to reach new markets, clients, and customers. Perhaps you've saturated your current market and are ready to expand into a new one, or you see potential in an area that wasn't available or obvious when you first started your business. You've decided that you can't do it all by yourself. This is not necessarily because you feel overwhelmed and overworked, although there might be a touch of that involved. It's more about seeing opportunities and ideas that could come to life if you had a few more hands in the mix. This could be as simple as hiring an administrative assistant or someone part-time to coordinate order fulfillment, marketing, or social media. Who you choose could make or break your efforts, so we'll cover how to create that position so that you have a synergistic match for your introvert energy. You're ready to stop trading time for money. One of my coaching clients used to base her contract bids on how many hours she estimated a project would take her. She'd add up the hours, multiply them by her hourly rate, and factor in materials and subcontracting costs. From there, she'd have her bid amount. This worked okay and paid the bills, but she never made the amount of money she wanted. Why? Because she wasn't asking for it. She was trading time for money, rather than considering how much she wanted to make from a contract or what the contract was worth. She frequently spent more time than she'd estimated but felt hesitant or was not able to bill the client for it. Once she shifted into growth mode and beyond the time for money trade-off, she was able to alter her perspective to one that placed an emphasis on her expertise, contribution, and results. You've achieved a certain amount of success and see that there's still opportunity for growth. Your clients and customers have given you feedback that indicates it's time to move into new areas. Here's a simple example. You own a bookstore, and your customers are starting to ask if you host book groups. The potential for additional revenue is high because you can offer special deals if everyone in the book group purchases from you, you charge a small fee for using the space, or you offer some other value-added experience that makes your store a book group destination. You know that to do it right, you'll need a coordinator to manage the logistics. Or perhaps you are a consultant. The volumes of content you've developed have piled up enough that you could create a book, DVDs, or other information products. 
They would help you reach a larger group of people as well as benefit your current clients. You know those items will take time and special expertise to put together. You can also foresee that it could be an ongoing project, with each presentation turning into a new product. Having a digital media assistant or information products coordinator on your team might be a wise investment. Notice that I prefaced this list with the words, ready to consider. You may feel one or more of these statements are true for you, and even then, it's important to weigh the options and understand what's driving you. Your motivation for growth must be based in a belief in what's possible. There should be a sense that you are moving towards something rather than away from something else. Finding the pack you'll lead. Anyone who's worked for someone else has at one time or another thought to themselves, I could do a better job of managing than this bozo. Well, we might not have been that harsh, but we probably had all the perfect answers and solutions sitting in our comfortable office out of the line of fire. Finding yourself in the position of bozo to others will be an eye-opening experience and potentially challenge your introverted energy. You'll be called on to be more present, more visible, and more verbal than ever before. And you'll discover more personal strengths and challenges than you ever knew you had. If you've not had much experience in a leadership position before, you may not be aware of your style and how people respond to you in that role. Up until this point, you've been a leader just by virtue of starting your own business. The difference moving forward is that you'll be managing people, not only processes and projects. There's a mind shift that's required when your success or failure changes from affecting only you to involving other people. The stakes are higher. Numerous things will be different once you bring others into the mix. If you have any issues with control, they will likely be activated almost immediately. You'll become aware of enjoying daily interaction with someone or that you still prefer to have large chunks of time alone. Your style might be conducive to having an employee who needs a strong mentor, or you might prefer someone who has more experience and needs less supervision. The question of your leadership style and how to be an effective leader is too big to address adequately here. There are many leadership characteristics that introverts tend to exhibit. Here is a short list, some of which should, by now, have a familiar ring. Thoughtfulness. Introverts process internally and generally take action only after sufficient consideration. They think before they speak rather than thinking by speaking. Calm, cool, collected. Because of their thoughtful nature, introverts tend to have a calming energy. This contributes to an atmosphere of trust and safety for others. Aspiration for the company, mission, vision, or team, not self. Being front and center, in the spotlight, is not the typical goal of the introvert. Introverts can and do lead the charge, but the focus is always on the company rather than self-promotion. Takes responsibility as needed, gives credit when it's due. Their focus on the job at hand means that introverts don't feel a strong need to claim the credit or displace the blame. Do we enjoy recognition? Sure. But it's generally not our primary driver. Active listening skills. Introverts are keen observers and like to gather information, process it, then come to a conclusion. Most prefer to listen more than talk. Subtle charisma. Introverted leaders quietly command the respect of those around them and draw people in. Their magnetism is less polarizing and more team-oriented. Note, more leadership resources are recommended in the resources section of theintrovertentrepreneur.com. Consider reading leadership materials, taking a few workshops or seminars, or engaging a coach to support you in finding your unique style and growing your leadership skills. Even if you remain a solopreneur in the midst of your growth period, you can still be a leader among your peers and within your industry. Once you've done some introspection about who you are as a leader, it's time to determine who you need to lead. The answer may be obvious. For instance, if you are experiencing a backlog of orders and are having trouble keeping up, an administrative assistant who is responsible for order fulfillment would probably be a wise first hire. 
you may find that there are so many social media and marketing outlets that you could spend all day, every day, just getting the word out. A marketing director or social media assistant would relieve you of that duty and free you up for other business development activities. In these cases, your task is straightforward. You write a clear job description that includes skills, experience plus education required, responsibilities, evaluation process, expectations, and goals as appropriate. You might even go so far as to write a detailed portrait of the ideal candidate, including their personality traits and energy levels. Let's say the type of position you need is less obvious. You simply know that you want more brain power behind the business. You may be clear about the type of person you want around, even if the particular tasks that person would be performing are still hazy. You might even have a particular person in mind. That presents its own challenges and opportunities. It can be exciting to consider working closely with someone you already know, like, and respect, and it is certain to change the nature of the friendship you had before you did business together. When you decide to hire according to a person rather than a job description, you have the opportunity to co-create the resulting position together. You don't have to start with a blank slate. As the business owner, it's still your prerogative to set the tone and outline your vision for the position. Working from that outline, you can then collaborate to fine-tune the position to ensure that it makes the most of each person's strengths and meets your business's needs. Be careful not to slip into being too casual about expectations and goals. It might be tempting, because you know each other, to say, Oh, we'll figure that out, or... If it were anyone but you, I'd put numbers on these goals. You might co-create the description, but do it with the future in mind. There might be a time when the description will need to be applied to a new job candidate, and you want things spelled out appropriately. This will be particularly important when it comes time for performance reviews. In any hiring process, it's important to take the other person's personality and energy into account and make sure they are compatible with your own. Notice that I said compatible, not identical. You don't need to be the same in order to work well together. While two or more introverts working in the same space might sound like an ideal scenario, it might prove less so if you enable each other to isolate or avoid the spotlight. If no one in the office likes to pick up the phone or go networking, that's a problem. Ultimately, as the entrepreneur in charge, it's your job to make sure your company is out and about. Hire too many introverts, and you might find that you're all enabling each other to stay in your cozy cocoons. The ideal solution is to hire someone whose energy complements rather than matches yours, whether or not that person is an introvert or extrovert. There are certainly extroverted introverts who enjoy the challenge of sales and networking. Maybe you're one of them. They see it as a task to be conquered and will approach it with determination and persistence. There are also extroverts whose sensibility makes them a perfect counterbalance to your introvert energy. They might have worked with introverts before or have close friends or loved ones who are introverts. You'll notice that while they have a more outward-turning energy, they are also good listeners and aware of themselves and the impact their energy has on others. Here are a few other things to look for when considering a potential colleague. Shared vision, or at least shared understanding, about the direction of the business. Most important for high-level hires. Generally positive, can-do attitude. Clear communication style. Learning curve, both in terms of gaining knowledge about your company and about the specific tasks to be accomplished. Most important, Pay close attention to how you respond to the person's energy. Are you worn out, confused, or otherwise frustrated after being with him? If so, reflect on what was affecting you and consider if it was circumstantial or an undisputed part of his personality. And finally, remember what's true for every human being on the planet. We are imperfect individuals. No one person is going to meet all of your desired traits. Nor is it reasonable to expect anyone else to be as passionate and committed to your business as you are. It's possible that you will find the ideal candidate. But chances are you'll find yourself weighing pros and cons and thinking, yeah, she'll be good in this role. 
Just make sure the pros outweigh the cons. Your business is too important to settle. Why growth requires paying attention to the forest and to the trees. Remember the expression about not seeing the forest for the trees? This little phrase sums up precisely the dangers that await the entrepreneur about to embark on a period of growth. The trees, they're everywhere. And the forest, the big picture, well, it's in there somewhere. This can be an especially true situation for the introvert entrepreneur. Our inward orientation sometimes leads us to focus in on details and all of the little moving parts. Attention to detail is absolutely critical. You must be able to see and identify each of the trees that surround you. But don't overlook the forest. The forest is your why. It's why you're in business in the first place. It's your purpose, vision, and core. Let's consider an example. One of my clients, who works within a larger organization but has an entrepreneurial role, determined that her why was, I make good things happen. Sounds pretty simple, doesn't it? But it's that simplicity and clarity that gives her an anchor when the what's and how's are swirling around her. She can look at the trees through that lens and use a basic question, how does this create something good, to guide her actions. It's easy to become fixated on the what of your business. In the case of my client, if she is too focused on implementation, she risks losing track of the why, which is about positive results, not specific products or services. As your business grows, it's critical that you keep the forest front and center in your thoughts, even when the trees threaten to crowd it out. The why of your business helps you make the big decisions, including what direction to grow in and who to bring on board. It also has another benefit. It helps you keep a lighter hold on the reins. If the most important thing is to make good things happen, then you have to be open to the idea that there are multiple ways to achieve that if you want to be successful. The how or what of the matter isn't quite as important as the ultimate goal. I am constantly circling back to a phrase I've mentioned before. I am open to outcome, not attached. These words, shared with me by a coaching colleague, have been a tremendous gift to me as I expand and try new things. I've noticed, in myself and in my clients, that when we're struggling, when we're feeling frustrated because something's not going the way we want it to, or someone's not acting in the way we expect her to act, our stress is caused by one fundamental reason, attachment. If you're attached, you're clinging as if to a life raft to a particular outcome. As soon as you're attached, you become too focused and therefore inflexible. You can't adjust to the unforeseen because only a certain path is acceptable. A more desirable state of mind is one that allows you to release expectations, should thoughts, and assumptions and stops you from going down the rabbit hole of what if. From that space of unattachment, you're better equipped to ride over or even smooth out any bumps in the road. Is any of this easy? No. This is a good time to repeat a quote from Chapter 2. The pathway is smooth. Why do you throw rocks before you? So often we create our own obstacles. Those rocks frequently show up as attachment to a person, place, idea, or outcome. They can be hard to spot because they are often disguised as goals. But what if it's necessary to change the goal? What happens if we're too attached to that specific outcome? And what if we need to course correct because where we are headed is no longer on the map? We are more likely to arrive at our destination successfully, all in one piece, if we are open to where the journey takes us rather than forcing a particular outcome. It can be uncomfortable, and we might resist letting go of the rocks. After all, those rocks often think they're keeping us safe because they allow us to hide behind excuses. But once we recognize how many rocks we are throwing in front of us, or how we can turn existing pebbles into boulders, we can start to shift our presence into being more open and curious, less fearful and closed. And that makes the potentially overwhelming business of growth a lot more enjoyable for all concerned. There's one more additional benefit to being open to outcome, not attached. When you release the need to control everything, 
you will be more open to influence from other people. You'll be a better listener and more thoughtful about ideas that come your way. And you're less likely to be in a competitive mindset with people in your industry. Why? Because you're a sponge, soaking things up, bouncing back, and twisting and flexing with the situation instead of a cinder block, crumbling apart when someone takes a hammer to it. You'll take things in, use what works and helps you manifest your why, and wring out the rest. Introvert Entrepreneur Focus Jada Seldner, co-founder of Simple Green Smoothies and JadaSeldner.com Question. You proclaim, I'm an introvert in the heart of your business bio. What's important to you about putting that out there? Answer. I make a point to share that I'm an introvert to show that even if you guard your energy, space, and time with how you relate to the world and the people in it, it is still completely possible to build a thriving online business with raving fans, which I have been able to do with Simple Green Smoothies. In just two short years, Simple Green Smoothies connects with over one million fans through our email and social media accounts. One of my strengths is being a relator, and I find this to be true for many people who steer closer on the introvert side of the spectrum. We crave deeper, more intimate relationships with a small group of people. When I'm at large conferences surrounded by big groups of people, I freeze and feel really uncomfortable. I find myself disappearing often to recharge and conserve my energy. But I use this to my advantage by looking for one person that I'd like to connect with for the day. And then they become my new best friend. They feel seen and heard. Question. As your community and business expands, what intentional choices have you made that help you honor your introvert energy and core values? Answer. It's taken me a while to embrace my introvert energy and core values. I always thought people must think I'm stuck up because I'm so quiet in large groups. As my community and business expands, here are some things I've put in place. 1. Build a team of extroverts. A great tip I got from one of my good friends and mentor, Jonathan Fields, is to surround yourself with raging extroverts. My business partner, Jen Hansard, is an extrovert, so when we go to conferences together, she leads the way and dives into conversations head first. Our community happiness specialist is an extrovert, and she just lights up getting to stay in conversations with our community all day long. 2. Give permission to recharge. Over the years, I've learned to not be so judgmental with myself when I start to feel overwhelmed by people and their energy. If I slip away from a conversation or a luncheon, I give myself permission to retreat into a quiet place or my hotel room, and I tell myself that's okay. It allows me to fully show up later in the day. I just say, I need to rest for a little bit. I'll see you later. 3. Schedule connection time. Being in deep relationships is important to me. But because it's so easy for me to stay indoors, in my pajamas, and behind my laptop or a book all day, I have to make sure I schedule time with the people I care most about. I make sure to schedule lunch and dinner dates with my husband and daughter so I don't miss out on connection time. I also make bookend dates with friends and family to give my mind and body a break from my work. I feel safe when I'm alone, but I know my core value is to connect with my close circle of friends and family. So the first important thing to know is who falls into that circle. And then they are always a yes. Once you've identified who is part of your safety circle, it's easier to guard your time and energy and say no to anyone outside of that circle. Question. With growth comes increased demands on our time and energy. More people want a piece of us. What's your advice for an introvert entrepreneur navigating the relationship-building aspect of a growing business? Answer. As my business grows, I have to create an ongoing practice of checking back in with what's most important to me. I plan my year by quarters with my business partner, and I review my goals and dreams with my husband every year. This allows the people most important to me in my business and personal life to be on the same page with me. As more opportunities and shiny objects come my way, being clear on what's most important for that year makes it easier to say no. It's not easy, just easier. I've also become a fan of sending quick responses to invitations that I must decline with lots of love. 
Here's an example of a recent email I sent. I'm actually going to be in super hustle mode for January through March for writing and creating new recipes for our Simple Green Smoothies book. I've already planned out the weekends where I'll play, rest, recharge, so I have to jump on the no train for everything else. Chapter 9. Accelerating Failure, Staying in Your Comfort Zone, and Other Ways to Set Yourself Up for Success. You miss every shot you don't take. Consider this question. How long does it take to build a business or do anything at which you want to be successful? It depends on how many shots you're willing to take. Imagine you're at the county fair and you've decided you want to win a stuffed animal for your three-year-old son. Your options include five chances to toss a ring onto a post or ten attempts to whack a mole back down into a hole. Why do they give you so many opportunities when you just need to succeed once? In the context of the fair, we have a clear understanding of what's going on. We know that we need several tries before we succeed because the game is set up to be challenging, but we hope not unwinnable. Out of five tosses, we might get the ring on the post once, and chances are it will be one of our last attempts. We've learned to assume we won't win the stuffed animal on the first try. We need multiple opportunities, practice tosses, and commitment to stick with it, even if we feel frustrated. So why do we forget all of that when it comes to our business development? Putting the odds in your favor. The Japanese proverb says, Fall seven times, stand up eight. My business development action plan includes some activities that are well within familiar territory and in some ways much easier than whack-a-mole. Write blog posts and articles, produce podcasts, coach clients. It also includes stuff that feels vulnerable to this introvert. Deliver presentations, go to networking events, email and call people I don't know. I have to do these activities consistently and frequently so that of the five times I present the same information, there will be one time that results in a solid business lead. If I want the odds to be in my favor, I must do the uncomfortable tasks alongside the comfortable ones over and over and over again. Just the idea of it pushes the buttons inside me labeled insecure and who are you to think you can. We can feel exposed as we keep putting ourselves out there, making the internal external. This is especially true if we think that every attempt has to be perfect. When we start going down the path of insecurity and doubt, it's easy to turn inward and think that we can figure it out all by ourselves. Then we remember how important it is to shine the light on our fears so that they don't fester in the dark recesses of our brain. You've probably heard the expression, what we resist persists. The fear will keep knocking until you open the door. The turning point comes when you can see the fear for what it is, deal with it, and get on with the job. You can't let the resistance keep you from taking imperfect action. As Wayne Gretzky said, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. So if you don't email, if you don't pick up the phone, then 100% of those people won't learn about how you can help them. They won't have the opportunity to say, tell me more. Instead, you're saying no preemptively on their behalf. And why the heck would you want to do that? Why would you make that decision for them? There are times when we can get too much in our head, choosing to retreat into our introversion rather than channel it. Or we'll start making excuses and deciding it's more important to go match up all of our socks. When that happens, remind yourself why you do what you do and the responsibility you have to bring your particular gifts out into the world. The tension introvert entrepreneurs often experience stems from what they feel called to do and what's required of them to do it. By its very nature, being of service to other people means we're going to work and interact with people in some capacity. There are definitely times when we're not going to feel up to the task. In those cases, ask yourself these centering questions. Why did I start my business? What problem am I solving for people? 
To what and to whom do I feel responsible? Use your answers to remind yourself of why it's important that you keep showing up and offering your work to the people who are counting on you. Consider if the people you counted on stopped doing what they do. Wouldn't your life be a bit poorer because of it? The people you serve feel the same way about you. The bottom line is really quite simple. All you have to do is show up authentically, trust in and share your value, make an offer, and see what happens. You need to be curious and understand that each failure brings you one step closer to the success you seek. When you allow curiosity to replace fear, failure can become your friend. Improv and the Introvert, an Unlikely Combination In that spirit, and as I've mentioned previously, it's valuable to learn how to accelerate and embrace failure. That's where improvisational theater techniques have helped me the most, because improv is all about making lemonade when you're handed a lemon. For me, improv pushes every button in my book. That's why one of the first emails I sent after I started The Introvert Entrepreneur was to a colleague who conducted improv classes. The idea of actually learning to do improv excited and scared me, and I sensed it would be a powerful experience. I'd had some exposure to it in an earlier workshop. That time, I hesitated to jump into anything that was more than making a sound or tossing an object. It was too much to be put on the spot in front of a group of strangers. As an introvert, I like to be prepared and know what's going to happen next, what's expected of me. I don't like being caught off guard. Once we moved past the warm-up activities and got into exercises that required actual words, the fear set in. I fell into the bad habit of listening while simultaneously trying to figure out what I was going to say when it was my turn. That meant I wasn't really listening at all. When suddenly it was my turn, I'd stutter and blurt out something that made no sense, at least to my ears. Improv is excruciating from that perspective. However, I found over the course of numerous workshops I hosted with colleagues, improv is also fun. It's liberating. It helps me trust myself knowing that whatever comes flying out of my mouth is going to be accepted by the other person. This transformation didn't happen overnight. It took time to get used to the idea that I didn't have to dot every I and cross every T in my head before I spoke. Things happened quickly enough that I didn't have time to stop and wonder, how stupid did that sound? Because we'd already moved on. And guess what? I survived. The essential point for introvert entrepreneurs is that making mistakes and being willing to step into the unknown is not only okay, it's essential. Knowing this intellectually is one thing. Trusting enough to do it is another. Trust may help you move forward, but it doesn't cancel out the discomfort you feel at jumping into a situation with no set outcome, no guaranteed result. Why respecting your comfort zone is a good idea. In the world of personal development, the phrase, step outside your comfort zone, usually preceded by the words, you have to, shows up so much, I've decided never to use it again. After all, why would I want to step outside my comfort zone? My comfort zone is filled with dark chocolate, naps, kitty cats, my BFFs, spending a quiet evening at home, and reading in my comfy chair. It's a cozy place where, according to those who want me to step out of it, I can turn into an indifferent blob of unchallenged humanity, complete with cobwebs and a layer of dust. Telling me to step out of it is telling me to do something scary. I can imagine doing the scary thing, and just like stepping on a hot summer sidewalk with bare feet, I see myself bouncing back over to the cool, comforting grass at the first opportunity. Because telling me to step out has always felt admonishing, get your rear in gear, I've taken to saying, expand your comfort zone. Use each new experience to make the circle a little larger, to encompass more experiences. That's felt comfortable, until recently. What's changed? I have realized that the word comfort comes laden with judgment. Being in the comfort zone equals bad, safe. Being out equals good, scary. 
Now I look at my comfort zone as something I need and want. It's a safe place that recharges me. Maybe it's my introversion coming through loud and clear, but I think my comfort zone is just fine where it is. Thank you very much. Recognizing that there's still a need for an expression that indicates we're growing, I propose expanding our capacity zone. I want to expand what I'm capable of doing and being. By using the word capacity, I'm acknowledging that I have certain skills and gifts. It recognizes that I have inherent strengths. I may not be using them at full capacity, and that's where expansion comes in. Words matter. Within this reframing, the context shifts. Instead of moving from bad safe to good scary, I'm moving from good to better. I'm moving from a place of power to expanded power, rather than from weakness to relative power. How can introvert entrepreneurs expand their capacity zone? Here are some ways you can expand that zone. Find ways to recharge yourself during large, noisy, and/or long events, or when you're with people with faster, higher energy. Learn to carry your serenity and safety around inside yourself. It's okay to close your eyes for a minute, step outside for air, take your time in the restroom, wear earplugs. You can increase your capacity for staying in what may be a draining space by developing ways to quickly reconnect with your quieter source of energy. And while you're at it, stretch into asking for what you need or want. When it's time to leave, leave. No excuses, no justifications. If you have something to say, say it. If you can't get a word in edgewise, share it after the conversation. Practice taking care of your needs as you go, rather than letting others talk over or around you. When it comes to your energy and your needs, no one else is going to take care of you. You have to know and ask for what you want. Make a choice to be fully accepting of your introverted nature. Author Sophia Dumbling offers this personal insight. Once I started thinking consciously about my introversion and working with it with intention. Things that used to be very difficult became easier. For instance, once I decided I'm not obligated to answer the phone, it became easier to answer the phone because I do it as a choice instead of because I feel the world requires it. Once I know that I can leave a party when I'm ready to go, it makes it much easier to go to the party in the first place. Make friends with the unknown. Introverts generally like to be prepared and know what to expect. Responding quickly, being put on the spot, dealing with unclear expectations—these are not high on our list of favorite things. Yet, as we know, life is full of situations and people for which we can never be prepared. In those moments, shift from fear to curiosity. Instead of thinking, "I don't know what's going to happen," try thinking, "I wonder what will happen." Trust that whatever happens, you can handle it. If you need to build your inner trust. Take an improv workshop. Improv is a safe, structured way to practice managing the unexpected and stretch your capacity zone. There are just enough rules to provide structure and shared expectations, and there is always permission to fail. Improv is about acceptance, authenticity, being present, and trust. All of which also give the introvert a way to create personal energy and safety in the midst of chaos. While the phrase "step outside your comfort zone" might speak to some people, it doesn't speak to me. Perhaps you're motivated by the expression. That's why I always expect some pushback when I share my perspective. My challenge for you is to find a way to live in the both and rather than in the either or. You don't have to be enjoying comfort or being scared out of your wits. Honor your desire for comfort, and you'll be more empowered to explore new territory. Start focusing on what you want to grow, building on what you already have, and adding new experiences that expand your capacity. And as long as you maintain ready access to dark chocolate or another one of your comfort zone goodies, you'll be just fine. The sustainable introvert entrepreneur, Vaclav Havel says, "I am in favor of actions that have authenticity, roots, originality, verve, balance, taste." Communicativeness, challenge, relevance to their time—in short, things that make sense.
Sometimes a word pops up over and over until we just can't ignore it. For me, there's been a recurring theme of sustainability. We most often hear about sustainability in the context of the environment or about the operations of a corporation or organization. My thinking was provoked during a coaches association meeting a few years ago that featured a presentation titled Sustainability, the Next Edge of Coaching. While it certainly raised some questions for me about my general profession, the more profound realization came when I asked myself, am I sustainable? Ask yourself that question, am I sustainable? There are two definitions of sustain that I like from the American Heritage Dictionary. To supply with necessities or nourishment, provide for. To support the spirit's vitality or resolution of, encourage. If you are sustainable, then you are taking care of yourself, providing for your needs, and maintaining a reasonable level of vitality and spirit. To borrow from the environmental context, it also means that you are meeting your current needs without depleting future resources. When you begin to think, I'm so tired, I'm burned out, and at the same time feel like you are working hard and need to be working harder, realize that you are making choices that are not sustainable. Do you ever feel that way? Do you find yourself saying, I can't keep going like this? If so, you're sharing my pain. Let's look at a few of the choices that affect our personal sustainability. Time. How well are you prioritizing and managing your time? Is your calendar full of shoulds and obligations that lead to regular exhaustion? Mentally, physically, emotionally. Are you making adequate time for yourself, for friends, family, and even pets? If you had to have the same schedule you had this week for the next year, could you do it? Money. Everyone's favorite topic, right? Just as we spend and save our time, how we spend and save our money is a reflection of our priorities. Are you living within, below, or beyond your means? Do you alternate between feast and famine? Are you able to cover the basics of today and tomorrow while having the resources for small luxuries that feed your spirit, such as music, books, art, and travel? Health. If you're not making choices that sustain your energy, you'll end up running on empty. And just like a car that runs out of gas, you can become stalled and quit in the middle of the road if you are making short-term choices for short-term gain. Certain choices, fast food, empty calories, skimping on sleep, sporadic exercise, will sneak up on you in the form of extra weight, illness, or injury. Another pitfall is taking an all-or-nothing approach. No desserts, exercise every day, no fast food. Your intention and willpower may last for a few days, weeks, or even months. However, that approach is usually unsustainable. What choices will sustain your energy for the long run while fitting into your lifestyle? Alone time. This is particularly important for the introvert. Are you getting enough downtime to sustain your energy for your business, for other activities that feed your body, mind, and spirit? And are you able to carve out that alone time without guilt or defending the need for it? How do you acknowledge and celebrate your spirit? What nourishes you? These are just a few of the areas to which you can apply the question of personal sustainability. Others include commitments, relationships, energy, and work. Take the time to reflect on each area and ask, am I making choices that support sustaining a life that I love? If not, what options do I have to put myself on the path to sustainability? When thinking about sustainability, it's also useful to consider the concept of the triple bottom line. In the corporate arena, the triple bottom line is made of people, planet, and profits. The extent to which those are honored is the measure of success and effectiveness. This raises another question for me. What's my triple bottom line? My immediate answer is ease, flow, and truth. If my choices invite more ease, flow, and truth into my life, then I am both successful and sustainable. How would you define your triple bottom line? The Fine Art of Letting Go This is from the Guest Information Book at Skamania Lodge in Washington State. 
Stay calm, don't panic, and don't quit. Be prepared. If you have an escape plan and adapt to the emergency, you greatly increase your chances of survival. As I read these words, they stand alone perfectly. How to elaborate on them escapes me. And they are the perfect words to close out this part of our introvert entrepreneur journey together. They sum up exactly what we need to remember when change happens or when we need to let go of an attachment, a need, or the baggage that we've packed but never opened. There's a difference between giving up and letting go. Learn which is which. The advice offered by whoever wrote the Skamania Lodge guest information book brings forward many of the traits of successful introvert entrepreneurs. Calm, focused, persistent, prepared, flexible, survivor. If I were to add anything to its sage advice, it would be, and keep breathing. What you know has the ability to change somebody's life. Right now, it's being typed into Google thousands of times per second. It's being liked on Facebook. It's being hashtag goals on Instagram. And people are sitting in a classroom paying $50,000 per year or more to learn just a fraction of what you already know. Now, what if that thing that you love so much didn't have to be just a hobby? What if it was your career, your business? What if people would actually pay you for your advice? You might be the one that could save a marriage, repair a family, change the course of someone's health, inspire an idea, expert secrets to help you to find your voice, build a movement, and become your career. Get your free copy of Expert Secrets now because your message matters. Thank you for listening to this episode of our podcast. We will be really thankful if you support us by clicking the link in the description so that we continue to create amazing content for you.